it can hopefully be an inspiration for other people, right? Like I said, like inside, like we're very similar, but on the outside, and especially in this season that our world is in, like hopefully that's a light to somebody else. Yeah. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we've been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family with questions that make you want to unfollow. All right, Adrian, Daryl, welcome to Mimosa Hill. Mimosa Hill, we are excited to be here in the heart of Lynchburg, Virginia, in the immaculate study of Mr. <laughs> Billy Hansen himself, guys. This is a milestone for the podcast. Uh, many leather-bound books and the smell of sweet mahogany. <laughs> it's a classy place. It really is. So this is Adrian's probably 20th trip to Lynchburg in what? 20, almost 20 years. Almost 20 yeah. years, right? Yeah. Like a native son at this point. I am. I should be adopted. Yeah. I mean, we're just trying to get you here. Like, what's it going to take? I know. Like, is there something we can do? I could do summers in Lynchburg. There we go. I, I could probably be arranged. We'll, we'll start there. Summers in Lynchburg. And then, you know, we could do a little, you know, maybe a semester, you know, internship. It is funny. Like, when you go out and people are like, hey, I love your podcast. I love AP. And you're like, is he here? Like now he's he's in Texas, you know, yeah. but um, it is always so good to have him here. And in a season where Joe's not here, right? It's so cool to have somebody who come and just hang with you and like help take care of your kids and you know go to the grocery store with you. Like that's a good friend, right? I'm a yeah. surrogate at this point. Yeah. So okay, so for people who don't know you guys, your best friends, you've known each other since you met. They're holding hands now <laughs> in, the, in the studio. Um, you met your first job, right? Yeah. Give us a little backstory. It was 2002. Um, I had literally just driven up to New Jersey in my red Firebird, and I had strolled into the corporate headquarters of what was called Footstar Athletic at that time. So we were headquartered in northern Jersey, like where everybody's headquartered. And then we had about half of our life that was happening in the city, like for activities and stores and events and all that kind of stuff. So our time was kind of split between the two. So if you can imagine, we're about 20 minutes away from the George Washington Bridge. And I walk in, I've only been in small towns all my life. And Adrian's sitting there, this like tiny man, or this big man in a tiny, tiny cubicle. <laughs> it was like, the cubicle was way undersized for him. And nobody was really in that office yet because they had moved corporate headquarters from Dallas um, where foot action had been to this larger group up in New Jersey. And so I walked into basically like an empty building with a large black man in a tiny cubicle. <laughs> it's a true story. Yeah. So I had just relocated. So I graduated from college, uh, Florida A&M University, loaded up my Honda Accord, drove all the way up, you know, the East coast for my first job out of college, which was in Mawa, New Jersey. So, and so the company had just relocated. So I was one of the few people from Texas who agreed to actually move. And so I got there. I was really literally one of the first people in the new office from from Foot Action. But I look up and there's this like friendly, 
slash half country, half backstreet boy white guy. He got the frosted tips. He's in shorts and like sandals in our corporate office, right? So I'm just like, who the heck is this guy? And apparently he had known me before. So he's like, hey, AP, what up? And he greets me like he knows me. I'm like, who is this? And I think Joe, Joe was with you the first time I met you. So Joe's with him, and I'm like, what? He's like, hey, what up? I'm DC. I was like, hey, give him some, give him a hug. I think we, I think I hugged him, right? Uh, and it was, it was love at first sight, man. We, we've done for 20 years. We've done, we've worked together in corporate. Yep. We've worked together and done some agency stuff together. Yep. Um, he's made me look like a rock star at several companies I've worked at. But beyond that, he's been just a friend. He's been a brother. He's been a uh, calm uh, mentor, savant in making decisions. He's also been a voice of accountability and probably challenge when I needed like a swift kick. But uh, yeah, and our, our families enjoy each other. Uh, you know, our my wife Alicia, his wife Joe, our kids, and so yeah, we're we're pretty much you know everything except for the DNA. We're, we're in this man. And and my twenty three and me says there's about three percent that could be. It could be possible. We could be yeah, linked. So. But I think other thing too about AP and I is, is that we have both been in marketing kind of at the same times. And there's been these moments where Adrian's career has been at like this super high level. And so it's been really fun to like be attached to that star and see it grow and rise. And like, we'll go. <laughs> you know, and so you always find yourself like cheering for him, right? Like in your space. And you know that like, your space is your space. Like marketing is our space and nobody outside of that would even know what we're talking about when we talk about ad age or ad week or social press conferences or any of those kind of things. Right. But for he and I, like those things are a big deal in your vocation. And so it's always been cool to watch his star grow, whether that was with foot action, foot locker, where he was like uh, top 20 under 40 black enterprise magazine. Right. And then, you know, go on to Liz Claiborne, and a brand called Mex. And I just thought that that was so cool that he was there and he was working in the Empire State Building. So I'd go to see him, like, I'd go to the Empire State Building, right? I thought, like, oh, yo, that's so cool, <laughs> you know? And then after that, um, we started working together kind of on the agency side. And um, he was getting some, like, decent clients because he was down in Dallas that had, like, some cachet to him. And so it was always fun to, like, work on those things with him. And then, you know, as great journeys go, there was a dip right where he was broke eating peanut butter and jelly and driving a jaguar it's a <laughs> yeah. long story uh, and then he got back on the bus with some guys that we had worked with previously in lee applebaum at um radio shack and it was like yo like the train is leaving the station again right yeah. and so i jumped on with him and just and so I've enjoyed like cheering for him from radio station to into it to patron to bacardi and then all of a sudden the world changed in 2020 and he was at the right place at the right time to speak and make an impact and add thought to people who, you know, were, weren't necessarily thinking about things in the same way and help shift some minds and hearts. And it's just always been fun to cheer, if that makes sense. Right. It's like we're all wearing the team AP jersey. And so it's been fun. And you always feel like grateful that he comes back to Lynchburg. It's like, oh, wow. It's funny, I've always, every time we've talked about uh, what Adrian's up to, it's always like 
you're cheering. Like you are so excited. Like you'll tell me we'll have breakfast. Like man, he's doing this. But you're in the same field, and I don't get any hints of like jealousy. Like oh man, I wish I was doing yeah, that. Yeah. It's always like, like his win is your win. Like you feel like yeah. it's a win for our team. Yeah. And I've loved that because you could see like I'm sure in the marketing profession there is a little bit of yeah. um, competitiveness, but it always just seems like it's all love. Yeah. That's big. Yeah, that's good. It's funny as he describes that. And, you know, I, if I was a little lighter, maybe you could see me blush. But, yeah, no, he really has been such a supporter of um, all those career moments, right? And I think part of – but it's it's mutual, I think. So uh, our buddy – so Chris, uh, who was here – yeah, Chris Carroll, who was here um, this weekend as well, got a chance to hang out with him. And he's, he's known, you know, Daryl even longer than I have, um, you know – we are the other brothers, right? In in his life, yeah. and it's funny the same way he talks. You know, Chris has a high level corporate job, amazingly smart, just you know, just brilliant, good guy. You know, and the way he talks about us and our success and the things that we do, et cetera. When I drive around Lynchburg, and if you know, <laughs> if you um, have ever visited Lynchburg. Um, you will know that Daryl Caffey's fingerprint is on everything. So in Billy's office here where we're recording the podcast, there's a map of it's old school Lynchburg. Yeah. But let me tell you, if you ride around Lynchburg with Daryl freaking Caffey, oh, yeah, I redid that building and that building and that bagel shop and that Dollar General. <laughs> and that, I mean, literally, there is a list of more than 20, maybe at this point, 30 properties from homes to commercial places, to a CrossFit studio, to a restaurant that he has not only helped renovate and restore, but he's helped people in the community to start their entrepreneurial journeys, to own property. Like everything I've done from a commercial for tequila to, you know, writing tweets for Radio Shack, I'm like, it's okay. But like to look at a map of a city and literally see a guy who has touched all these lives by touching like the lot lines and literally like restore even the office we're sitting in like he helped like create that and refurbish it man so i'm like yeah i I do okay but that's cool so it's it's definitely a mutual kind of complimentary i think um probably friendship of uh, i think support cheering but also just like wow in awe of the gift god has given somebody and is seeing that shine through yeah yeah so tell me, you know, when you're young, you have friends in every stage, elementary school, middle school, high school, and you're like, these are going to be my boys for the rest of my life. In college, your first year dorm guys, you're like, these are my, these are my best friends for the rest of life. Or your first job, you've got some guys that you're, you're both learning the ropes. But I would say 99% of the time, that's not the true like fact like it's not your boy for life. it might be friends you'll like each other on facebook and you'll say what's up from time to time but they're not really in your life the whole life and i'm, I'm wondering like they're more circumstantial it's like a scene they were friends while i was in the scene i if i'm removed from that scene or they are we're not really that tight anymore how is it how is this a lifelong friendship like how did you get there I, I think the thing that we've said often is is that there were some experiences that we had when we were 22, 23, 24 years old together that were bonding in that we were alone. We had only really each other to bounce some of these things off of. And we struggled through them together. And I think that may have been some of the bonding agent. I think our faith 
was the other bonding agent, right? Like we've landed in this place, Adrian from Texas, me from West Virginia. Both of us have kind of this conservative Christian upbringing and we found each other and we look different on the outside, but on the inside, like our experiences are pretty similar. And I think when you combine the struggles of that we were going through and those similarities on the inside, it's like, Oh yeah. Like, thank you. Thanks for like being my friend in this moment, you know? And I think that made it really fun. The other thing is, is that AP is just so much fun to be around. Right. So he's like a sevens, seven, seven, right? Like he is, um, energy and life and can hang out or talk to anybody. And so like our experiences are always fun. Like there's never a moment, even though we're just hanging out, like our experiences are always great. And I think when you find somebody that's not only easy to be around, but like the things are fun to do, you, you long for the next moment that you get to do them together again. Um, it's like, man, I can't wait to get to see you again so we can do whatever it is. And that I think maintains a friendship. It's almost like being on this, um, beautiful hamster wheel of friendship, right? Where it's just like, man, if we keep this up, like, until something, you know, until one of us dies, right? Until uh, acted upon by another force, like we are going to keep this thing going. So just grateful for that. Yeah, it's funny. I reflect on Daryl because I definitely think, especially early on, right out of college, but he was a much better friend to me than I was to him. Mm -hmm. Probably for me, because he grew up, I think he had friends of like other ethnicities and backgrounds, et cetera. For me, you know, I had classmates who were, you know, white or, you know, it's called non-black, but my friends from church, my friends from the neighborhood, you were all black people, right? And so for me, I, I always had a, there was, you know, I grew up in Texas, right? So in the, you know, 80s, 90s. So for me, I kind of always had this kind of like, oh, well, you know, those people, right? So I can be friendly and cordial, but like at the end of the day, like, is that your friend? You know, and there's a saying I heard, Hey, if you have a black friend who doesn't talk to you about what it means to be black in America, then you don't have a black friend, right? Like, and so, yeah. and I mean, this guy, and he's like for real. And everybody who knows Daryl knows like Daryl is a force of nature, and he loves well, he loves big, and I think he uh, he almost taught me like he made me rethink what I thought I knew, and kind of taught me how to just be a good friend, like by just being there for somebody and like sharing experiences. I, I, and so I think he, he, I don't think you knew it. I don't think it was a deliberate thing, but I think you definitely exposed me to like, Oh, I'm tripping. <laughs> well, we've been through so much together, right? Like we've been through marriage and kids, but we've also traveled the world together and we've spent time in other countries together. And we've been in big conference rooms and little conference rooms and, like we have done a lot of things together to the point where it's like whoever you are underneath gets really exposed, right? Um, when you're broke, when you're really wealthy, right? When you're scared. Um, and so the fact that that friendship remains, and we, I hope that everyone has those in their life, right? And I think the beautiful thing is, is that when two people that are visually so different are able to do that, it can hopefully be an inspiration for other people, right? Like I said, like inside, like we're very similar, but on the outside, and especially in this season that our world is in, like hopefully that's a light to somebody else. Yeah. I'd be interested in an episode on friendship from you guys, like actual like lessons, like a little, because I, I think people get to their 40s and they, they have people they know. 
and they maybe play golf with, but like not at that like deep level. Yeah. Um, I've collected friends really well, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if you think about them like cards, right? Like I've collected some really great grails yeah. and like I hold them dearly. Yeah. I think we've all had commons, yeah. you know, yeah. and I love them. Like, and they all have meaning, but like I've collected some amazing friends. I mean, even if you think about like our community here in Lynchburg, right? Like you and I have some amazing friends that we're grateful for and we've yeah. served each other and loved each other. But when you can expand that, not just by friends of proximity, yeah. but friends of passion and internal connection and those kind of things, and they don't necessarily have to be here every day in Lynchburg, man, you just feel so grateful for that yeah. because it opens you up to all new experiences and all new places and all new other friend groups, right? Like every time we go to Texas, like, or we were with his family, or whatever, like you're, you're immersed in these other cultures. I think about, I think about being at your wedding, right? And I think about <laughs> being in the backyard. So we're in a backyard barbecue, all black neighborhood. I'm the only white guy. Joe's the only white girl, right? And uh, to be accepted, to be loved, to be mm. to be barbecue okay, right? To be like, <laughs> you know, cook out ready, cook out ready, <laughs> like that. That feels like such a like a treasured thing, you know. I think that's probably. And I think something that Billy hit on. I think I think you're right, man. I, I agree with you. I think the absence of safe, vulnerable, authentic relationships, especially among men, I think I think it's a crisis. And I think not only is it a crisis of men at a certain age, but I think it also impedes our ability to teach our sons and our daughters mm-hmm. about friendship. Because we just don't have those tools, and so yeah. one thing I'm so grateful for is, especially Daryl and kind of my you know circle of friends, I almost feel a responsibility, like mm-hmm. an obligation, to give that to other people. And yeah. so in my community, especially this year, actually, I've probably done more this year to be deliberate. And you ask my wife, like, reaching out to guys, like not assuming he's okay. Like, hey, let's let's grab coffee, let's talk about something, let's be there, you know, and. Um, Because everybody's going through something, but I I I agree. I think there is a I don't know if it's the art of friendship, but it's there's there's I think there are some things that we relate to traditional masculinity and provision that are impeding our ability to have really good friendships. And I I don't know what the answer is, but I think you're right, man. I I think it's a bigger outage than what a lot of us realize. Yeah. Um. I'm curious. I've got some friends that have let me down. And, like, I think it's really easy to be like, you've been relegated, right? You're not in the Premier League anymore. You are down on the... You've been... (laughs) You're down... Like, you're... It's... We're going to see. We're going to see. And and it's got to be big stuff, I think, right? It's not like, oh, you, you know, didn't come to my party. You know, birthday party or whatever, right? It's... I had a couple of friends that have never even reached out after my brother died. And they were like groomsmen in my wedding. Like never like and they know. And they've never even said anything. Like how do you not say like like I get like you're at fifteen and your friend's mom dies and you're like, I don't know what to say. But you're thirty eight and you've got kids and a wife and you got family, like and I'm like, I'm ready to just write these dudes off. Like that was circumstantial. And I- I'm wondering if there have been moments between you where you've let each other down and maybe you didn't even know it and you had to get over it and you had to because that's any relationship just long term there's moments where and i don't mean it for the story to relive a drama but just like how do you get through that like i'm in the moments right now like do i just throw this friendship away 
or do I actually lean back in and have this uncomfortable moment? Like, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Like, why didn't you call me? Right? Yeah, that's highly uncomfortable. Um, that's it doesn't tough. have to be that level of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, it's great. And we were just talking about it wasn't about friendship. We were talking about a, a similar experience about man when somebody hasn't showed up or been there in a way that you expected over a period of time, especially yeah. a long period of time or something very critical. It hurts, and oftentimes there's those unmet expectations or needs. Or sometimes it's like, dude, that's a big deal. Like my brother passed. Of course, you know it. And sometimes it's it's hard to uh, arrive, you know. And we ask, hey, what's the movie in your mind? Like, hey, there's a movie in my mind that says this is how you respond when something happens, and you did not play your part, right? And I've learned, especially more in my marriage, actually, about communicating those things even when you don't feel like you have to and so when i've had um disagreements with and my you know one of my many flaws is i but i try to i try to forgive as hard as i fight so growing up i'm one of six kids i fought with all my siblings but i i hope that i forgave as hard as i fought in corporate if you ever worked with me on a project closely we we had a moment I've had a moment with every single person I've ever worked with CEOs to interns. Like I pissed you off and I forgave. And I think when it comes to friendship, I can't think of a time where we've had like friction, but I, I can think of a hard time when like the agency kind of, it wasn't between us. It was like, you know, we were working with some guys on, you know, some, some work. It didn't work out. Like it didn't work out for me. It didn't work out for them. It just wasn't a fit. And that was hard. Cause me, me and him were still friends, but I thought our ability to kind of level set expectations and have candid conversations ab about that, I think helped us to navigate that or even, you know, in political conversations, right? Where I'm like, whoa, I mean, we're, we're really good friends. We're like brothers. I'm like, well, I'm over here and you know, I'm kind of over here, but we can have the conversation. And so not that that's relevant to, to your example, but I, I do think, man, if it's a friendship worth um, salvaging, they might be just as they might not have the words and have not had even the tools to reach out. Yeah. And I, I do think there's probably things worth salvaging yeah. to like have, have that conversation, but it's hard. You have to do it in your own time. Like, yeah, you, you, you can't force it. Well, that's what my therapist would tell me. So I'm gonna give you that. You don't so have to pay 300 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> How good is that question? Right. Whether it's you're asking yourself or you're asking your spouse, there's a movie playing in your mind about what this thing should look like. Would you mind telling me what that looks like so that we can make sure we hit those expectations? Like that's so good, right? Like that's worth all of this podcast. So, so before the next big event in your life, right? You ask Catherine, Hey Catherine, there's a movie in your mind of how you'd like today to, to go. Could you, could you share that with me? Right. Yeah. And if, when you hear that, you're like, Oh, okay, great. Well, here's how I can step up and make, and help those things to happen, right? Yeah. Rather than, in hindsight, there were these expectations that she had for the movie, and you didn't play your part very well, right? Like, <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good question. It's such a good question. Yeah. Um, okay, so you have two brothers. No. And you come from, I remember the podcast. You've yeah, got I've got three four. brothers, two sisters. So, yeah. so those are your earliest friends in life, right? Mm -hmm. Your brothers, your sisters, your siblings. Um, are you guys tight with your family? Like, do you, I know 
you invest a lot into these relationships. Do you feel like you guys are investing in those friendships? Like at a level that you want to be? So on my side, probably, so I've got, there's four of us who are probably in the Dallas Fort area together. We're probably, we're a lot closer than, I have two brothers, one in Houston, one in uh, Laredo. We're probably closer just by proximity. So we hang out, yeah. right? If it's, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to baptize my daughter, you know, a few weeks ago. They come over. We celebrate together. We do birthdays. We do outings together. Yeah. My sister just, you know, uh, my youngest sister just had her first son. So I'm there. So because those moments, you know, those low kind of impact moments build that proximity. So I think those are really, really close and tight. I think the last two years have been hard for all of us. So right. all of us, like I tell people all the time in career and uh, faith organizations, I'm not the same person. You're probably not either. Like, I've changed dramatically in the last two years. And so I've known that in my siblings, we're all very different people. And so it's been, it's almost brought us together. We've all had various crises and different things that have really tested us. Um, so I, yeah, I'd say we're cl- I'm close to them. The two brothers who aren't as close, I'll be honest, I have to work a little harder. Yeah. Uh, I have an older brother. Uh, we don't talk as much. We, you know, there's some, I don't know, I, ideological, philosophical. We have, have differences yeah. of several things. And I notice if it takes too much effort, yeah. you kind of like, well, I got the kids and my wife. So yeah. I'll be honest, I, I'm not good at it across, you know, distance. I'm better at I, if you're here with me. So. I don't have any advice on that one other than... Well, they are like the easiest ones to neglect. I don't ask it to be like, oh, like let me get your report card out. But they just are the easiest ones because you don't choose them and you've got tons of baggage from 18 years of probably being in the same house. But they are the easiest ones to take for granted and I think they're the ones you can't really throw away except in some probably extreme circumstances you probably can. Um, So, all right, Daryl's got nothing on this. We can edit that out. It's... uh, too soon for him. We'll come back to that on, on next season. On Unspoken. <laughs> <laughs> I prayer, like it. It's come a, on. It's a prayer request. It's that's, the, that's the follow up to Unfollow. <laughs> it's unspoken. It's good. Um, are we can edit this out, D. What's up? Why aren't you not with your bros? No, my brothers are great. Yeah. Like, we just don't talk all the time. But, yeah. like, it's funny. There was a person in town the other day who knew my younger brother. Yeah. And they didn't even see me. But they were around the corner. And I was talking to somebody, and I came around the corner, you know, being me and dumb and loud. Yeah. And they're like, "That's a Calfi, I can hear it, <laughs> right?" That's funny. Yeah, it's like our even our voice patterns are the same. But like, I just talked to Joel today. I, you know, called him to check in on something really quick, and we're great. It's just we all three of us operate very quickly. We're all doing yeah. our thing. We all have our own families. Yeah. Um, and we're just not close physically. Like yeah. we're you know, two hours away from each other at any given time. So we just don't hang out a lot, but when we're together, it's great. Yeah. You know? So we're good, but I definitely don't put as much in You're right. I don't put as much energy into them as I put into all of you guys. Yeah. Um, and the results are there, right? The results are there with you guys. Yeah. And yeah, then you're right because I have put that work in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a good challenge. Like should I put more work into them as well, you know? Um, Cause there's going to be a time especially as your parents age and that kind of stuff where you're going to need them and you're going to need to be in conversation with them and you're going to need to have a deep relationship that allows for challenges and struggles, right? Because you're not going to agree on how to handle certain things or do certain things. Um, I will say this, my sister-in-laws are phenomenal. Mm. Like the ladies that my brothers married 
have been a gift in this season where Joe's been battling cancer. Mm. They check in on her every day. They talk to her every day. You know, they have been like pseudo sisters for her in that way, even though they're two hours away. So if nothing else, like my brothers chose their mates really, really well. And that has paid benefits for our family for sure. All right, so we all have like dreams and like roadmaps of how like we see our movie of our life playing. Yeah. But I'm curious, like when you guys look at each other's lives, you've been tracking together for so long. You know your skills. Mm-hmm. You're both, you know, pretty high level in terms of planning and seeing how things could go. Is there something like I'd be curious for the vision and like hope you have for each other, like what you hope for DC oh, and what you yeah, like, good. like how would you love to see it play out? Um, I'll go first because I, I can already see it and smell it, right? Like okay. I hope that in this next season, uh, season three of Unfollow, but like season three of Life, mm-hmm. that AP gets to take the stage and the microphone in places where he can have great impact. And you know I've said this before, but it's hard to have your own voice when you're working inside of another brand, whether it's an agency or it's a brand, like you're still a reflection of who that is. And so you never really find your own voice sometimes in that. And so now that he's been kind of unhitched from that, he's got an opportunity to have his own voice, whatever he says or does, he's solely responsible for. And that is going to be really beautiful because I think those are the moments that somebody goes, yeah, that's a really good point. It's, controversial it's a little uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable but yeah that's a really good point and it's hard to do or say those things when you're getting a paycheck from that group and so that's what I'm excited for him about as he goes into this next season and I can see it like I can almost I can already hear the conversations and you and I are going to be listening to podcasts that he's on you know or watching YouTube videos from TED Talks or whatever and I can see it coming and that's what I'm really excited for for him. Receive that. <laughs> I'm a pro. I'm pretty much a pro. We are we are recording this on a Sunday, so I'm 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 taking all of that goodness. No, you know when I think about, it's hard to think about Daryl without thinking about Joe, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think first obviously I see Joe whole and healed, and I see their family who has you know weathered this journey, um, coming out stronger, stronger in their. Uh, faith or love for each other, but stronger in their community because so many people have rallied around them. And I love that, you know, their whole vision for how they want to live is, you know, rebuilding and restoring things. And they've done such a good job of doing that, not just in, you know, property, they've done it in people. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, as many projects that he has going on now, which is a lot, he has a vision for probably two or three times as many, like his vision for what he would like, Lynchburg to become and more importantly the people in Lynchburg is massive and so I I can see it I can see this local impact but this global reach where it's less about um, the project or the property right the you know hey I sold it for this I flipped this I got a tenant here which is great like that pays the bills you know and, you know keeps Uncle Sam happy and you know keeps the keeps the farmhouse ro- rolling I think there's things that y'all are doing collectively here as a community yeah. that would be so helpful in other other markets. So I can see the Penny Lane like content or the product. I can see the rebuild and restore. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. And I think it's just seasons. Like there are times when you can see it, but it's just not the time to invest in it or, you know, for whatever reason, 
you know, things just get, you know, thing, things are on hold. Um, but, yeah, I can totally, totally see it. And, you know, I'm, Daryl's one of the most talented guys I know. The guy can, like, sh- you know, shoot, edit, uh, write. He can uh, build. He can construct. He can sell. I mean, he's got a skill set that I haven't seen in any, any you know. It's broad both. very shallow. Yeah, broad and shallow, which is great. So, yeah, I, I, I can see it. Like, it didn't seem far-fetched to me to, yeah. to, to see that. You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines. I could see, like, I could totally see Daryl and Joe being that and more, but in their own authentic way. Yeah. Yeah. It always feels to me, like, when I, because I've listened to the podcast every episode, it feels like it's for, it's got broad appeal. I think anyone mm-hmm. can get value, but there's two groups. One it's for like the two of you when you were twenty three. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it's you. It's like Knuckle do your own yeah, selves. Yeah. Like sitting yeah. at Footstar, right, in yeah. the cubicle. It's like, all right, guys, if we right. could just get yeah, you yeah, this, exactly. save you a lot of heartache. Yeah. Um, and then it's for like all the guys that want to have coffee who are young and like yeah. just started their career. And you're like, no, no, I'm gonna give you. You listen to all twenty four. I need to see that you listen. Yeah. Then we can have coffee. That's for yeah. like the two groups. It yeah. seems to me it's for. No, that's a that's good insight because that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And now you get to the point of like, okay, what are you going to talk about next? Yeah, right. Like, I think where we're at now is like, as you're asking the question about like, hey, what do you see yourself at next? Where do you guys want to head next? That kind of stuff. Um, it would be interesting to see. Okay, what would a podcast look like in twenty years from now? Like, what are the conversations that we're having yeah. with ourselves at forty? But. I do want to believe that I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been from a perspective state, meaning like I get it. Like there's still stuff that I'm not great at, but like I have the cognitive ability to understand that, you know, like I, I'm not saying the dumb things that I necessarily said in those conferences. You said a lot of dumb things. A lot of dumb things. We were laughing about those this weekend, but um, I am able to now see myself almost with that third eye. Whereas I wasn't able to see, and it's probably um, a sin of youth, if that makes sense. But also, I do want to believe that we're at this spot where God has given us the health and strength and mental capabilities to make some really good personal, professional decisions that will carry us for however much longer we have. And the opportunity to make an impact now is probably greater because what we were talking about earlier today is that we've gotten to a point where people believe us. Like, we finally reached that point where people trust us, you know? It's like, oh, well, you look old enough now that, like, you, you, we'll trust you a little bit more. I think we always wrestled with that, like, being the younger people in any organization, kind of being patted on the head and, like, oh, you're too young to know what, know what the answer is. And now you look around, you're like, oh, shoot, like, I'm the old guy. And so now, like, is our opportunity. Now is our moment to coach and to help and to lead, um, to write for people to change their organizations and honestly to create our own, like whatever that looks like as well. So I think we do have finally have permission from ourselves and even from those around us who we didn't necessarily know it, but I think we've got permission now to lead. Um, so you gotta do well. So there's this Warren Buffett idea that you should get a piece of paper out and you should make a list of the 25 things you really want to do in your life. You want to accomplish and then you should mark out, like in order, and then you should mark out the bottom 20 and forget about them. Mm-hmm. And work on the first five, and maybe in your whole life you'll get through those. And if you do, you can start working on six, seven, eight. And hmm. I always sort of resented that quote because it's like, I've got like a life list. It's big and it's long. Hmm. And I've like, 
and there was a point like i was like i'm gonna get to all of this stuff but man the last three years especially it's been like i'm not gonna get to like maybe i don't think i'm gonna make it to double digits on this list and i feel it really heavy like it's like man like i'm gonna have to like intentionally just say sorry that was a fun dream i have to give up on that and do you guys feel that you're a little bit further i'm 38 you guys are i think early 40s yeah. Um, yeah, i'm 42 you'll be 42 do you feel that I mean, you'll be 43 too yeah. right i'll be 43 in a month yeah yeah do you feel that i do it, and do yeah. you have your top five clarified so do you feel That's it good. and do you have your top five I mean, clarified uh, i don't so and i've just recently like i mean this is all you know timely hot off and fresh and how the press is i mean i do feel that and i've just recently done kind of a goal setting kind of vision setting kind of session with myself um you know for, and we on the way over here we were talking about the difference between potential and purpose and so potential all the things i could do yeah. your skills gifting calling resources interest guide you to i mean there's so many things you could do and there are people who tell you there's so many things you should do and then, you know, it's different between purpose of what you created to do. It, you know, it sounds cliche. It sounds like a motivational speaker. But it's true, right? And I, I, so I think for me, it's been like, hey, what is what are you created to do? And I think kind of using that as my top three. So for me, I know. I know what I shadow it out. If I don't get these words mm. out of my shelf, mm. hard drive, or my brain, mm. and onto something that lives beyond me, I would have failed. So that's, mm. that's one for sure. Mm. Two, I, I know if I don't, um, how I do it, how I teach, how I lead, uh, whether it's live or it's a digital course, whatever that is, if I don't teach, um, you know, Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep is like, hey, how am I grooming and mentoring another generation of people and what I've learned, I would have failed. And of course, also with my family, like if, if I'm not, you know, a present and healthy father, if I'm not there for my wife and I have a role model, like my number one priority, the only job that no one else could do yeah. mm -hmm. is father and husband. Every single job I'll ever, ever do, yeah. someone else could actually do it. And oftentimes they could do it better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I've, I've definitely had that clarifying moment of like all the things I could do. And honestly, as hard as for me, I'll be honest, as hard as for me when I'm sitting across from somebody who is doing like some amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said across in the past, like two, two weeks, I've said across from people who are like literally changing industries, right. right? Building out multi-million dollar businesses. And like, I'm walking through, you know, the office and, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, how do you, and, but I'm not envious. So I don't envy, I don't want it, but I'm inspired by their light. Yeah. I'm inspired by that. And so I know that, um, I've got that same light in me. I just have to have to use it the right way. But yeah, I definitely have shortened that list a lot from what it could have been. That's only three things. That was only three things. I think. I think well, you know, I was being general. You're supposed to shoot for five. So what are the other uh, two? Well, one, I'd like to learn how to swim at some point. And um, and, <laughs> and uh, last one. Uh, Can we make that one number one so that you survive to do two through hey, five? You give me a life vest, I'll go on any uh, body of, of See, water. We right? try not to make racial jokes. We try not to, but they're so easy. Hey, there's a difference between a generalization and a stereotype. That would actually just be a generalization because it's not wrong. What's your you have five? Man, I, I have never heard that before, Billy. I've never heard that top 25 come back to five. Like, I've never heard that before. Yeah. 
That's really good. I think the thing that we all talk about often is like you make any of these lists and at the top of those lists is always people and family. And so you realize that like at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And if it's not, you need to fix the list. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, for most healthy, normal people, right, those family relationships are or close friendships are always at the top of the list. But I think the wrestling really comes for all of us, especially, you know, as men in a work environment where you want to do and build and create some things, you know, and that wrestling between them versus the people at the top of that list is always where the tension becomes. And I think for me, there's been these moments where I've had to change what I'm comparing myself to in order to find uh, an answer that I can live with, if that makes sense. So we've talked about this where uh, contentment versus complacency and what's the difference. I've been asking that question for 20 years. And the problem is, is that I'm asking a question about contentment versus complacency and I'm doing it by comparison. And that's always going to steal your joy. Mm-hmm. That's always going to make you angry or feel less than or feel like you need to do more. And so what you need to do is take a step back and, to your point, set those goals that actually probably have nothing to do, maybe even with the industry or the work itself. And once you do that, then all of a sudden your definition of success for yourself completely changes and you really don't care what anybody else is doing. You really don't care how well you're doing compared to anybody else and what everybody else would measure themselves against. All you care about is those three or four things that you said, hey, these are the most important things for our organization to be going after. And most of the time, it's not going to be the bottom line. Most of the time, it's not going to be about the dollar amount. It's going to be about, again, impacting people, changing lives. Mm. Sort of this like meme trend going around where there's somebody's talking about like some challenge they're having in the middle of their work day and then they like flashback in their 12 year old self's like wait we're doing this we get to do this yeah, yeah, yeah. and so i'm like wondering like like if you like you're in the middle of drafting working on this project you got a 15 year burner <laughs> like you could and you beautiful family like you've got a ton of projects going on you're impacting the whole city like what would your like 10 12 year old selves like be thinking of this well i think first of all mom would say like why are you going to college yeah save that time and that money but if i hadn't i would have never got to meet ap i would never got to meet chris i would never got to meet all of these you know fantastic human beings because of that journey so we know that right and i was like i think my 10 or 12 year old self would say spend more time on the tractor Mm. right like it would say you know spend more time like messing things up you Mm. know break like not being afraid to break things you know that kind of stuff that's where I find the most joy, yeah. right? Is looking at things that nobody thinks have any value and bringing them back to life. Mm. Like the, the, the visual representation of resurrection is the way I put it. I love that idea of rebuilding and restoring because I think it's innately in us. I think it's in our core DNA that that's why we love the half an hour makeover shows is because we can quickly absorb this idea of this was in a state of death. And it's been brought to a state of resurrection, and isn't it beautiful? I think it's just in in our DNA. So I think if I was to go back as a 10 or 12-year-old, I would just be like, man, let's just break stuff (laughs) so we can fix it. That's so awesome. I think I would also tell myself, by the way, about money. I think I would tell myself about money is that it's an idea, and there's always going to be plenty of it. It's always going to be out there. Mm. And don't get afraid of not having enough. And make sure those around you have what they need. Yeah. 
and because I don't think anybody's teaching you that growing up. And so right now with my kids, that's what you're hearing coming out of my mouth all the time. Hey, there will always be enough chips. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> there will always be more eggs. Yeah. Like there will always be more of whatever, insert whatever the thing is. Yeah. And I think it's true with money too. I know that that's a weird view of it, but I think that like there will always be more of it. It's finding the opportunities because those aren't, or finding the deals because those aren't everywhere, right? The opportunities aren't everywhere. And then making more space of it for other people. Because um, that brings me the most joy. Yeah. I never worried about money when I was a kid. And we grew up, I mean, poor. Right? We grew up, you know, with, you know, a family of eight living on probably 40000 maybe $45,000 a year. Which, you know, a while ago, but still, I mean, that yeah. is yeah. not much. Um, I never worried about money. I, I never got into corporate i never took a job for money ever like i was always like man let's just do something you're proud of have fun create uh do something new like create i'm the seven enneagram that was always it and i think he'd be like so you're like what why would you ever like shut down your gmail put set up a filter that says if anybody ever emails you again about any kind of job it automatically deletes it (laughs) why would you ever take that yeah Go, go build something. And then, yeah, at some point, you know what? The cards don't shake out. You got to go do something. Go do something you're proud of. But damn it. Yeah. He cussed at me. He say, damn it, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? Like, yeah. you know, and, and people who have known me, especially if you've known me from probably like middle school or high school, you know, my life looks nothing like it did in the past. Like, beautiful wife, three kids. Like, man, just like, just an amazing family and like we're active in our church and our community and like man i was like a hardhead knucklehead growing up so like man like i think he'd be like this 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 is how we living and you want to go back and yeah i think and i think he slapped me (laughs) so yeah it's it's a good clarifying question (laughs) well getting to create all day sort of with freedom I mean, that's yeah. for a 10 to 12 year old who was creative and enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, a dream. Do that. And then at some point, he's like, okay, well, hopefully somebody pays you for it, right? That's a big challenge right now. I think, you know, that commercial, that 20 year old, right, who says, oh, I got to acquire, I got to achieve, I got to elevate. Yep. And people keep rewarding me and promoting me for it. Yeah. Sometimes that star becomes the one I follow home yeah. versus saying, yeah, it's great if I get some of those things. Yeah. If yeah. I don't get those things, I could still stick to, you know. Yeah, that's such a good point because I think there's, Two thoughts. The first is that at 10 or 12, there's no ego. Yeah. There's ego, but it's yeah. not the same, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have developed an ego, and that is at play right now. Yeah. The second is you've developed responsibility. At 10 yeah. or 12, there's no responsibility. Yeah. It's, so it's so hard to go back to 10 or 12 and imagine life without ego and without responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wonder, like, that 10-year-old who was creating, like, did they hide in the shelf, or did they, like... Mom, Dad, look what I wrote or shared. Oh, oh of, shared. Yeah. I, was, I was in theater, dude. I used yeah. to do yeah. Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream, Taming of the Shrew. I wrote my own monologues. Like I was on the stage. I would enter uh, science fairs, art competitions. I would draw. I would do speaking. I would write. Yeah. I was writing poetry. Like It was always just like, let me write yeah. and let me create. I could care less about who okay. sees it. I could care less like college. I don't know. Who cares what college I go to? Like. A status, a badge, or any validation didn't really matter. I just love, I, I love winning. Like when I won awards right. for like 
Love you know, yeah, I got right. first place in this oratory competition, the first place in the essay competition, the first place uh, in uh, best actor in this, you know, middle school, you know, stage play I was in. Yeah. Um, that was great, but it was like, yeah, I got it, but yeah. I worked my ass off for months to get there. Like, yeah. that was the fun part, yeah. yeah. It'd be, I mean, the closer you can get to that sort of egoless yeah. creation, yeah. and like, you're not censoring yourself when you're writing, yeah. or when you, I mean, that... That's going to get really interesting, right? Yeah, that's like that core. You know what? What starts, as like I said, that star you follow home. And we talked about this on one of our very first episodes was like, you know, it becomes like, you know, your parents or adults in your life. You got to get a job, make some money. And then I get to college. And I'm like, well, this major won't make much money. And then, you know, and people who are trying to, you know, protect you, you know, from maybe a bad decision or delayed start. But you start to make those, that decision tree starts to err on the side of, safety caution certainty from a really economic perspective right and then the kpi success metric becomes well how much you're earning how much more you're earning like and so you climb that ladder and you know that we all know how that ladder ultimately ends up but we all we all want to try it though like you know like nobody wants to everybody wants to be the person that yeah money is not it but they have money nobody wants to be the person that's like yeah money's not it and they're broke like so like we're, we're all like yeah, yeah, yeah. Life's about more than that, but you know, yeah. I'm comfortable right now. <laughs> and you guys, uh, whatever happens, keep uh, keep showing us how to be friends, like in public and on podcasts. Like, I think that my favorite part of your podcast is two friends who dearly love each other having fun together. Yeah. Like, that's a cool that's thing great. to point to and, and give other people permission or encouragement to do that. Like, it's just fun watching yeah. you guys be friends. But thanks for that. I think that's a good reminder that we probably take for granted. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get you glove. Let's go play ball. All right. <laughs> Thank you.